Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today we are speaking with a great, talented, beautiful friend and leader, Lauren Baker. As an occupational therapist at Toronto's leading private pediatric practice and one of Toronto's principal mental health agencies, Lauren Baker never imagined she would uproot her life and move to New York City. But in 2015, she took a risk and accepted a position as the clinical supervisor for a special education preschool program at risk of being shut down. Although she wasn't able to save the program, Lauren learned a great deal about leadership and problem solving from the many obstacles she faced in this challenging work environment. This knowledge allowed Lauren to transition into the role of occupational therapist and coordinator of academic supports at the Gateway School, an independent school in Manhattan for children with language-based learning disabilities. It is here that she learned about collaborative and proactive solutions, CPS, Dr. Ross Green's transformative and powerful approach to problem solving. As a certified CPS provider, Lauren coaches staff, students, and families on how to solve problems using two key elements, empathy and collaboration. Not only does Lauren apply those elements to her problem-solving approach, but they are cornerstones to her leadership style as well. Lauren believes that it is only when people listen to one another and work together that they can truly move forward. Welcome, Lauren Baker. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. I'm really great, especially that I get to talk to you, my friend. I know. It's been so long. (laughs) I wish it was in person. Well, we need to do that soon. We will. Are you ready to point to our listeners? Yes. (laughs) Great. Now, Lauren, tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now. Sure. So... I am a licensed occupational therapist. I trained in Toronto, Canada, and I moved to New York in February 2015. And I've worked in a variety of spaces. I've worked in the private sector, the public sector, the school system. I've done a little bit of work for mental health agencies. And right now I'm currently working at an independent school in Manhattan. And I'm the occupational therapist for the entire program, but I'm also the coordinator of academic supports. So even though it is a clinical position, there is definitely a leadership role that I take on. Um, And my previous job at a special needs preschool in New York on the Lower East Side, I was the clinical supervisor. So I've always been interested in leadership. I always have gravitated towards leadership. I'm currently in a leadership position and... You know, I'm curious as to where these different experiences will take me because I recently was certified in a problem-solving approach that essentially is also a leadership position as well because you kind of guide staff and students in different levels of problem-solving. So it's not like your traditional leadership position where I'm, you know, a supervisor or director. 
but I think just naturally I gravitate towards that role. And, you know, when you mention a traditional leadership position, those are just positions. It doesn't mean that you're a leader, even if you're in those positions. Well, yes. <laughs> and I think that's why I've gravitated towards that because I have worked with both effective and ineffective leaders. Mm -hmm. And I learned really quickly that your title doesn't necessarily mean that you have the leadership qualities that the title might, you know, assume you do. Right. And so how would you describe your leadership style? Um, I'm definitely a team player. I think a strong leader is someone who notices like the strengths and talents of the people around them and really uses that for the better of the team. I think a strong leader has like a very strong voice and a clear vision because I do think like as much as it is a team approach, leadership does start from the top. So I do think that it's important to know who you are and know what your vision is and know what your mission is and really continuously go back to that and make sure that you're sticking to that. I think a leader is someone who is really empathetic, someone who is a good problem solver. And I learned this from you, someone who comes to the table with a problem, but also with a potential solution or solutions, as opposed to just kind of throwing out issues. That's really, I think, important in leadership. And I think a leader is like a producer, someone who can take all the different elements of the working environment and bring them together in the most effective, powerful, meaningful way possible to get a task done. And I think especially in like healthcare and education, a leader is someone or everywhere. I think a leader mm -hmm. is someone who like deeply cares about people um, and has a very high like emotional quotient. Lauren, we worked in a really toxic environment, you and I. Oh my God, yes, we did. <laughs> One of the great things about having worked there for me was having met you. Um, and one of the things that I loved about you is that you were so curious and you asked great questions. Thank you. That's such a huge compliment from you. I mean, I learned so much about leadership from you and it was so funny because it feels like we worked together for years, but it was really yes. such a short period of time. But I think when you're in such an intense, toxic environment, mm -hmm. the time is so meaningful, you know, because... Mm -hmm every moment of that time together was so intense and so important and so valuable mm -hmm. that it felt like so much longer than it really was. And I don't want to work in a toxic environment. I don't think that's helpful for anyone. However, I think what I learned from that job was invaluable. Mm -hmm. and, and the people that came into my life um, that were also invaluable. And, you know, we learn how not to be, right? Exactly. And how an effective organization should work. And I think one thing, just to add on to the leadership thing that I think about all the time when I think about that toxic environment is that a good leader does not instill fear. There was so much fear in that environment and so much negativity. And I think often people confuse like leadership with power and mm -hmm. abuse of power. And yes. To me, that's the opposite of leadership. That's right. Now, do you have any quotes that speak to your life? That's a really good question. Nothing that I would, you know, tattoo on my body. Why not? I'm too type A for a tattoo, I think. <laughs> um, maybe it's more like for challenging times, like this too shall pass. That's but a great one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's been really important because like when you face adversity, whether it's like personally or professionally, sometimes it feels like it will last forever. Mm -hmm. And I think knowing that it will pass, but more importantly, experiencing that it does pass 
and then comes back and then passes again is really important because it does allow you to prioritize and have a healthy perspective. I think about that a lot at work, you know, when people are feeling really stressed about something that isn't stressing me out, I wonder, you know, why, like, why am I able to stay calm in these types of situations? And I think it's just because I've had so many more intense things happen around me that I'm able to just kind of prioritize and have like a healthy perspective on it. And just to know that like stressful times won't last forever. And also, you know, non-stressful times won't last forever. So I think that's been really important for me. That's key because in education, there can be so much stress and learning how to navigate that in a healthy way is important. So this too shall pass. I love it. And I think another one too, and this Mm -hmm. has more to do like with my specific training that I just did. I was recently certified in CPS, which is Collaborative and Proactive Solutions. Mm -hmm. And it was developed by a psychologist named Dr. Ross Green. And his main message and also a quote that I keep with me all the time is kids do well if they can. And that's just been really important, like specifically when I'm working with children or when I'm being, you know, a leader in terms of advising people on working with kids is that when you are facing a challenging situation with a child to remember that children want to do well and they'll do well if they can. So if they're not doing well, to really think about what's getting in the way. So tell me more about this program you were a part of. I know that we spoke and we talked about you getting a certification and being Mm -hmm. a coach in that. Can you tell us a bit about that? Absolutely. So CPS, it stands for Collaborative and Proactive Solutions, and it's a problem-solving approach that is being implemented in schools, in hospitals, in families. It's being implemented in a variety of professional contexts, even in prisons, believe it or not. Essentially, it follows a very set protocol on how to solve problems. It has three main steps that Mm -hmm. you go through when you're solving a problem. And the whole point is that the problem-solving approach with children is collaborative, which means that both like the child and the grown-up are coming with solutions that are realistic and mutually satisfactory. So in the first step of problem-solving, it's called the empathy step, and that's where you really just listen. Mm -hmm. And there are different strategies that you use to get information from kids, but your only job in that step is to find out every possible concern that the student may have about the particular problem that you're trying to solve. And then in the next step, you state your concerns as an adult. And then in the final step, you try to solve the problem in a way that satisfies both of your main concerns and in a way that's realistic, so something that you can actually get done and mutually satisfactory, so something that feels good to both parties. And you make sure that you follow up in a week or two. And if the solution worked, great. And if it didn't, then it means that you missed something in that conversation. And I know it sounds really simple. And when I first heard about it, it sounded very natural, something that you know I was already doing. And I think to a certain extent I was, but it gives such a prescribed method of going about this so that you can't kind of deviate from that collaborative piece. And it's just really been so eye-opening in terms of working with kids, working with adults. It's been amazing to see how it works. And it's just something that, as someone who's like passionate about leadership and passionate about working with kids, it just was such a beautiful fit for both of those. The school that I work at is really passionate about the program and they're committed to only solving problems with this approach. It's called a plan B approach. And they've done book studies and they've done trainings with the staff. And then last summer they sent me and a few staff members on an advanced training And then this year, several of us went through a certification process, which was 
a 24 week program where you are recording conversations that you're having with kids and getting feedback every week. Mm -hmm. And I was just certified last month. It was really intense, but it was worth all the work, 100%. Congratulations. Thank you. It sounds like good, intentional communication and connecting. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Which is a big part of leadership. Yeah, it's not a complicated approach, Mm -hmm. but it is not an approach that is used often with people who have the best of intentions. So even the teachers that I work with that are empathetic people and, you know, they're working with kids with special needs and Mm -hmm. all they want to do is help. Even with the best of the best, they're often solving problems for the students and not with them. Mm -hmm. And that's why the problems aren't being solved because they're not really getting to the root of what's causing the problem in the first place. So if schools wanted to get in touch with you and hire you as a consultant, how could they do that? Because I'm a certified provider now, Mm -hmm. if you just Google CPS certified providers, there's a list of providers and it's done by state. So if you were looking for a provider in California, in New York, in Nevada, wherever, then you would just find the specific city that you're looking for and it would give you the list of providers and I'm currently on that list. So send me the link and I'll put it in the show notes. Yes, perfect. All right, great. Now Lauren, tell us about a leader who inspired you. I mean, without sounding too cheesy, you. Um, When we worked together, like we said before, it was a toxic environment to say the least. And I was also new to the city. Like there was just so much in my life that was new. And I think when you're in that position and you're feeling alone and vulnerable, you connect with people who are kind and empathetic. And that's exactly what you were. And you just felt like someone very safe. And you were able to like highlight my strengths as a leader, but also to let me know when I was doing something that wasn't effective. I once had a conversation with someone and there were other staff around us and it was such a minor incident, but I remember you telling me afterwards, you know, that was a conversation that should have been had in private and you were totally right. And I wasn't doing it with any ill intent, but it actually felt great to have someone give me that kind of feedback and not just positive feedback. You know, you allowed me to observe you and sit in on meetings with you. And you had such a, like a cool, calm and collected nature, even when you were stressed and that made everyone around you feel so calm. And I just saw like what an asset that was. Um, And like I said earlier, coming to the table with solutions and not just problems. I mean, that has really informed almost every meeting that I go into. And I'll even say that too. I'll even say, you know, like I have this problem, but I want to let you know that I have a few solutions in mind and just wanted your feedback. And it just makes such a difference. And even when people come to me with problems and not solutions, you know, I see how ineffective that can be sometimes. So yeah, I've had wonderful mentors throughout my clinical career, but you were definitely the first that really focused on leadership with me and what it meant to be a leader. And I think it's because I was in an on paper leadership role and I definitely felt like a leader as well in that environment, but I just had the opportunity to kind of sit at the table with leaders. There were definitely some ineffective ones, but you were by far like the most effective. I mean, we still talk about that. Every time I connect with you, we always talk about that and what I learned from that. And working in education can be so challenging because there is a lot of ineffective leadership and it really does trickle down. And you knew about that 
to a deeper extent than I did because you had more experience in that world. So it's been really fascinating for me to really start to see that more and more firsthand and also to see what it is to have an effective leader because I do work in an environment where there are a lot of effective leaders and you see how that really impacts the team and how work is just done in such a more effective way. And you know what, Lauren, even though our time together was, the environment was terrible. I loved connecting with you. We could do a whole podcast on that. We We can, but I loved connecting with you. One of the things that I saw in you immediately was an incredible talent and integrity and also a warmth. Even though it was so hard, you had survived that. It felt like such an honor to be able to pour into you. And I was able to do that only because even with that environment, you still were open to learning and trusting. And that's you. That was your choice. And so I sensed that in you. And so we worked very closely together. We were in the hot seat together. We're <laughs> your buddies. That's but you right. know, I think about that time and I just think about the fear. There was just so much fear in that environment and just how awful that is and how I just would never want to be in an environment like that again. And I would never want to instill those types of emotions in anyone else ever. And so the importance of why we do what we do, right? The importance of why we're having this conversation now is because there are people that can become great leaders, but they're not taught to. They're taught more of the same. And so that's why we want to elevate our leadership and we want to also instill that in others that are coming up in leadership. It's so important, especially in a school environment where we have the future that we're grooming, that we're pouring into. So these conversations are really important. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you. Okay, so what's the best advice you've ever received? Wow, that is a really good question. I think it was that you can hold both. And by that, I mean, you can feel like you have success, but also feel like you're experiencing failure, that it doesn't have to be one or the other. And the reason why it was so important to me is because I think I was really thinking in such a black and white mentality before I had that shift, you know, that it could be one or the other, that it was good or it was bad. It was happy or it was sad. It was strong or it was weak. And to know that it can be all of those things at the same time which just allows you to be open to some messiness that comes with life or with leadership or work or relationships or whatever it is, you know, allows you to relax a little and to know that it's okay to hold it all at the same time. Great advice. You know, it's really simple, you know, and this may not resonate with everyone, but for me as someone who is very empathetic and very emotional, but also very type A, that was a really important thing for me to hear because I was really struggling with seeing both sides or empathizing with two different perspectives and feeling like I had to choose one. And I think about that, you know, not just like in my personal life, but definitely professionally, Mm -hmm. how you can love what you do, but also feel really tired at the Mm -hmm. end of the day. You can feel burnt out and you can feel frustrated, but it doesn't mean that you're not in the right profession or that you're not doing a good job. And exactly what you said, you can succeed and have failed even as you are on that journey to success. Mm -hmm. We don't learn until we fail. You know, that's something that our students need to learn too. It needs to be okay for Mm -hmm. our students as well, that failure is a part of this journey. And it's what builds resilience. And I talk about that with my students all the time, that the most important thing when they're adults is how resilient they are and the toolbox of coping skills that they have because they're constantly going to face problems. 
And I've learned that strong leaders are the people who can navigate those problems effectively, who know how to react in different situations. And you can really only know that by numerous failures. Well said. Thank you so much, Lauren. Now, what does it mean to you to have a good team and how do you build and sustain one? So I guess there's like a few parts to that. So I think you need to have a clear vision of where you want to go in order to kind of build and nurture the team that you have. And I don't think it's about creating this perfect team from day one and expecting that it'll always be perfect. I think it's knowing, like I said earlier, people's strengths and talents and really like using that. And at the same time, trying to foster new skills. It doesn't just have to be that someone's only good at one thing on a team. Of course, leadership is so important in developing an effective team, but that doesn't mean there has to be one leader. And I definitely don't see it as, you know, a pyramid where somebody's at the top. I think a team is really much more of a circle with all of our hands intertwined, kind of keeping it strong. And I think that for me, the more diverse a team is, the better in every sense of the way. Just having one type of person on the team is definitely not effective. I think you need a rich group of ideas and philosophies and cultures and backgrounds. That to me has always made the best teams because Mm -hmm. you're just getting people from so many different walks of life and people with different perspectives so that, you know, if you throw out an idea, you're getting rich feedback in terms of the people that are around you. For me, it's really important to be with people who have the organizational skills and the problem-solving skills, but also, like I've said earlier, empathetic people who genuinely care about others and really want to hear someone else's perspective and value other people's perspectives. And a team is only as strong as every individual unit. So if there are people on the team that are struggling or suffering, it's important to help them and to pick them Mm -hmm. up and figure out what's going on. How important is trust? Trust and communication are so important. Being vulnerable. I actually think it's something that I'm pretty good at, but I think it's something that is really hard for a lot of people. And I think that has to do with trust issues. And I think when you're on a team and the trust is strong, people are more likely to be vulnerable, which in turn allows them to be more creative and Mm open-minded and just a stronger team member in general. And get support if they need it. Absolutely. Toxic work environments often begin when there's some sort of breach in trust. If you don't feel like you can trust the people around you, then I don't think you're going to be comfortable or even happy going to work. I mean, I know from working in environments where I trusted all the people around me, and I know from working in environments where I only trusted one person around me, like just how that impacted the work. Right. And it's got to be the foundation of leadership. You can't build a good team without trust. It is no, vital. I don't think you can just expect trust because you're mm-hmm. the CEO or the CFO. It's the same with kids. You know, kids don't have to respect you or trust you just because you're an adult. You have to earn that. The reason why I love CPS is because you earn that by showing empathy. And you earn that by really listening to someone's concerns. I mean, really listening and saying, okay, that's your concern. Well, let's try to solve that problem based on that concern. So mm-hmm. I think that people who walk into a role assuming that they'll receive trust just because of the role, that's not strong leadership. And it takes time to build trust and that's okay. Hey leaders, stay tuned for the rest of the interview following this brief message. 
So I went out with a friend this weekend to celebrate my birthday, and we landed in a great modern Cuban fusion restaurant, Sabor de Cuba. The atmosphere, food, service, drinks were great. So if you're in New York, take a trip to Astoria, Queens, mention Master Leadership and get a free dessert in 2019. For more information, visit SaborDeCubaAstoria.com or call 718-777-1693 for reservations. When you're talking about CPS, are you talking about working with the children? Yes. Because I can see how adults need this too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I use the same principles working with adults as well. The program itself was designed to solve conflict between adults and children, which is why it's very popular in schools. You know, a lot of families use it like within their own households, but it's also being used, like I said earlier, in prisons and people will have CPS consultants come in to the workplace to talk about how to better solve problems. What works with children almost always works with grown-ups. So when people come to me with problems in the workplace, I may not sit down with them and have the exact same conversation in the exact same style as CPS, but it's the exact same principles where you're saying, mm-hmm. okay, like, tell me what's going on. What are your concerns? Tell me more about those concerns. If you didn't have any of these concerns, do you think this problem would be solved? You know, like really using what they call drilling strategies to get out that person's concern. Because sometimes I think it's not even about solving the problem. It's just about being heard. And everybody wants to feel heard. And if you don't feel like someone's listening to you, what a terrible feeling. And I think as a therapist, I've been trained to listen to people, which I think is why CPS always made so much sense to me. But not everyone has that training or that knowledge. And you can Mm -hmm. teach it. You're so good at that, Lauren. Because one, you're very curious about people. You're a great listener. And you love people. I do. Well, not all, all, but most. (laughs) All right. So Lauren, tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it shaped your life. I'd say professionally, one of the greatest challenges I had was when I first moved to New York Mm -hmm. and I was brand new to the city. I was starting a new job in a supervisor role, which I had never done before. I'd always worked in a clinical role and I walked into a program that was completely failing. And 95% of the issues had to do with the therapy team, which is what I was managing. I mean, I had never really faced a challenge like this on so many levels. And it was part of my job to solve it. And an unexpected part of my job. I thought my job was going to be to come in and just supervise the clinical team and be more of a clinical lead. But it really became much more about solving administrative challenges and workplace cultural challenges. I mean, any challenge you could think of in a workplace was something that kind of fell on my plate. Everything in my life was just so new at that time, new city, new job, new apartment, new everything. So it was kind of combining all these personal and professional challenges all at once. It seemed like this perfect storm. It was stressful and it was overwhelming. And it really taught me about trust and communication because I realized that's what was going to kind of get me through this. And I think what I really learned the most from that experience was that I was capable Mm. and that I could do it. Mm -hmm. And it just gave me such confidence. It showed Mm. me that I could do something that I genuinely thought I couldn't do. And Mm. I think that was really important. And I think that's important for anyone because we all doubt ourselves and we all doubt our skills and our abilities and being in a situation that felt impossible 
but then seeing that I was able to make change and get through it and get through it alive and actually change things in a positive way was so important for my personal and my professional growth. And it also allowed me to see that just because something is hard and just because something doesn't feel good, it doesn't mean that it's not worth it. That really taught me the importance of going outside of my comfort zone and embracing that feeling of discomfort instead of shying away from it. Because I think that it's really only in those periods of discomfort that we grow and change. And a leader is someone who's constantly growing and changing. So I do think a leader is someone that is constantly putting themselves in uncomfortable positions and figuring out how to get out of it and how to make it better and how to make it more comfortable. So that was huge for me. And now we haven't spoken in a bit, especially about this and just the way you've worded everything. I mean, I was there during some of those times and to listen to how you processed all of that and the outcome is just so touching to me and powerful. And so Lauren, thank you so much for sharing that. Of course. It does feel good to have that perspective now. I think that's important too, because... I could have had a totally different perspective. That's right. So much of how we move forward really is a choice. Awesome. All right. So can you tell us about one of your greatest successes? So I was trained in Canada. My licensing was in Canada. And when I decided to move to New York, it was a year of intense paperwork, but also studying. I had to go back to school to study for the U.S. licensing board examinations. And... It was just one of the hardest things that I had ever done professionally because I was so settled in my career and I was just so settled in my life and I had to really flip everything upside down and teach myself again and kind of do it on my own. And the first time I wrote the licensing exam, I failed and mm -hmm. I had to write it a second time. And that was just so disheartening because I had been working as an OT for almost a decade. And I just felt like such a failure for not being able to pass a licensing exam that people who had never even had a job as an OT were passing. Mm -hmm. But again, I had to kind of shift my perspective and realize where I was in life and why that would have been challenging for me. And I just totally had to change how I learned and how I operated. And in doing so, I was able then to succeed and to pass that exam. And it felt better than when I passed the board exams, like going into the program in mm. Canada, because it felt so unattainable. So to achieve that was just so amazing. And it was really something I totally did on my own. There really wasn't anyone that could help me or do anything for me or take any of the load off, you know, and that's also what got me to New York. In many ways, it felt like that was the world's way of preparing me for something bigger, you know, because then I moved to New York and it was a bigger job. You know, everything is bigger here. It was this very challenging professional task at hand. And I felt like achieving it was almost like a rite of passage into mm -hmm. this bigger world that I was entering. And again, just like my experience in that work environment gave me the confidence. So did this. It really was such a stepping stone into this new phase of my life and my career. For the benefit of those listeners who may not know what an OT is, can you just quickly explain that and how you work yeah, with children? Yeah, of course. So when I say OT, I'm referring to occupational therapist, and it's a very broad field. You can work in physical health, mental health, hospitals, 
schools, you can work in geriatrics, pediatrics. So I'm a pediatric occupational therapist. And the easiest way to define it is that occupational therapists really work on life skills. And we only work on goals that are meaningful to the client. So if you're an occupational therapist in a school like I am, you may work on life skills such as handwriting or dressing or ball skills or gym skills. I specifically work on the life skill of self-regulation because I work in a population with kids who really struggle with self-regulation. So that's really the main thing that I focus on. But OTs can take such a wide range of goals. And what they do is they break it down into really simple tasks and they help people get back to the things that are important to them. So if it's important for a student to tie his shoes, then we're going to work on tying his shoes. If it's important for a student to learn how to ride a bike, then we're going to figure out what is getting in the way of riding that bike and solve that problem. I tend to work more in the mental health arena. So I'm working with kids with anxiety and ADHD and learning disabilities. So I focus on the activities that are meaningful for them that they're having a hard time achieving maybe because of those disabilities the best way to summarize it is life skills. It can be confusing because the word occupation entails that it involves a job and it could for an adult, but for a kid, when you think about their job, their job is to learn and to play right. and to grow. So it's my job to make sure that they're learning and playing and growing in whatever context that is. Perfect. Speaking of learning, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean to you and what are you learning now? Well, I definitely agree with that. Right now, the biggest thing that I was learning this year, like on a technical level, was this CPS model. And it really was like going back to school because the world is always growing and changing. To be an effective leader, you need to be growing and changing with it. And I think you also need to be growing and changing personally. So constantly working on that self-awareness and then adapting accordingly asking for feedback and not just listening to it, but really taking it and changing, whether that means taking a professional development workshop, speaking with a mentor, mentoring someone else to enhance their learning and also refine your teaching, whatever that means, in whatever way you're doing it, you're doing it so that you're getting better and better at what you do. I think the learning and growing really begins when you leave school. School's kind of like that gateway to just get you into whatever profession it is. Once you are a professional, when you're committed to it, you have to constantly be committed to learning and growing. To me, that's not even an option. And knowing you, you just love learning. I do. And I love learning about things outside of my profession too. I'm always so curious about that. You know, I definitely know a lot about education and child development and, of course, occupational therapy, but I'm curious about people who work in film and fashion and finance and... All the Fs. Yeah, all the Fs, <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, what is their work environment like? Right. What's effective for them and what's ineffective for them? And there really are so many similarities. It's so important to be curious about other people because it allows you to even have a better perspective on what you're doing. That's great. All right. So Lauren, if there were something you could change in education, what would that be? Sometimes education has a corporate feel to it. The structure and the hierarchy. I understand that it's important. And of course, you need structures in place. But I think more of a grassroots approach to education would be beneficial and more of an eclectic approach. So maybe moving away from some of the protocols and focusing more on problem solving and character and resilience 
and mm-hmm. self-regulation. I think that there is a shift in terms of the resilience and the mindfulness and the self-regulation. People are really beginning to understand how important that is. I'd love to see more of that. And I do agree. There is a shift. We're looking more at the social emotional skills, which to me are leadership skills. And so we're looking to develop that more. And I'd like to see more diversity in education too. In what way? You know, I think it's something like 85% of white women are Mm -hmm. working in the field. And I just would love to see that change. I'd like to see more people of color. Mm -hmm. I'd like to see more men. You know, I'm in a unique position where a lot of the leaders in my field are women. So that's wonderful. But I'd still like to see diversity. You know, I'm lucky to work in such a liberal city. And I love that it's progressive. And I just, I'd love to see that progressive nature across the board everywhere. So that all feel accepted. That's very important to me. Fantastic. All right, Lauren. Now, what do you do on a daily basis to set your mind for the responsibilities you have? For me, physical activity is really important. And I also have been really interested in mindfulness over the past couple of years. I'm lucky to live in a city where I can walk all the time. And that's really important for me in the morning to set my intentions for the day. And then in the afternoon to let go of my day. I try to practice yoga as often as possible. It's definitely not a daily thing, but it is really meaningful and important to me. And I would like to do more writing only because there was a brief period of time where I was doing a course and I was doing some journaling and it just made such a difference in my mind frame. It was just really nice to kind of get things down on paper and let it go. I don't do that as often as I'd like to, but that is something that's really important to me. And I think, you know, on a daily basis, there's a lot of deep breathing that's going on. Mm. I have wonderful colleagues that I can speak to and get advice from. Um, I have a very, very supportive partner who listens to me and is very honest with me and cares about what I do. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I can come home at the end of the day and talk about work and he's listening and he's engaged and asks the right questions and provides the right support. And I think that's really important too. I definitely 100% disconnect on a daily basis. So when I'm at work, I am very present. I am very mindful. I am there. But when I leave, I really try to leave and to have my life outside of work. And that's really, really important to me. My work email doesn't come to my smartphone. So when I'm not there, I'm not checking work email. And when I take time off, I really try to take time off and make sure that I focus on the things outside of work that are meaningful to me. And that's very healthy. I think so too. And you know, everything that I read about mental health and workplace health, I mean, it's always talking about physical activity and mindfulness and disconnecting. And I think it's so hard to disconnect in this world. I am just as guilty of it as anyone else, but I feel so much better when I do. Like I don't have my phone in my bedroom at night. There are just certain things that I've implemented in my day-to-day life so that I can disconnect from things that I don't need to be connected to all the time. Mm -hmm. Great. Now, if you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you? about leadership? I think I would tell her that a leader is a good listener and knows how to flow out of a conversation because that's been something that I have really been working on as a leader and just as a team member. And it's so important to really listen, even if you have great ideas or if you think you want to share your opinion, you don't always have to. You have to know 
when you should and when it's okay to let someone else speak. I also think that when you give room for other people, you grow as a leader, they grow as a person. And I think that's really important. Yes, I agree. Now, Lauren, what have you read, watched, or listened to that our listeners should as well? And why? So I shouldn't give you my Netflix list? <laughs> <laughs> Game of Thrones. Yeah, <laughs> There's a lot of lessons in leadership there. <laughs> a few years ago, I subscribed to this newsletter. It's called The Daily Ohm. And I did it because a friend recommended it. And then I kept subscribing to it because I've taken on a role at school where I'm sending mindfulness information to the staff every Friday. So it was just a good way to get information Mm -hmm. and research articles and whatnot. And there was a course that was offered. You paid what you wanted. If you weren't happy, you could get your money back. And the title of it was pretty terrible. I should actually call them and tell them to change the title. But I've recommended the course to so many friends. It was called From Hopeless Romantic to Happily Ever After, which is really just a terrible name for it because it really had nothing to do about love or finding someone. What captivated me was the description of the course, which was really just about setting your intentions and really being clear with what you want. And I decided to do this course. I think I paid $10. You know, I could have paid a dollar if I wanted to. It was a three-week course and every day you watched a short video and then they gave you like a really simple activity. Mm -hmm. And the reason why it was three weeks is because I think they said something like, it takes 21 days to form a habit. Mm -hmm. And I did it when I knew I had the time and I really committed to it. And it is something that I've shared with people over the years because it really allowed me to kind of sit back and take an honest look and really reflect honestly on who I am and what I wanted in life. And it did it in ways that I knew as a therapist were research-based. And there was a lot of journaling and there was a lot of repeating things to yourself. There was just a lot of therapy principles that I could tell went into it because I'm a therapist and because I am so research-based. Even if something seemed spiritual or hokey pokey, I still need there to be that science to it. And there was science to it. And I just thought it was a really great course um, that was probably you know like underrated by a lot of people. And I've recommended it to people over the years. Mm-hmm. And I think what I like is it holds you accountable. It gives you an activity yes. and you have to do it before you watch the next video. So I think that as you do it over time, it just does become a part of your routine. I found it really interesting. All right. So Lauren, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Obviously, I can only speak from personal experience. Mm-hmm. But what I've learned in the past few years about life and about leadership is the importance of stepping outside of your comfort zone. I know that sounds cliche, but it really makes such a huge impact. When I look at where I am, I mean, I'm literally in a city, in a country that I never even thought I wanted to be in. I had a really great full career in Toronto. All of my friends and family are there. And I made the decision to work really hard to get to New York And it has just opened my eyes and just changed my life in ways that were completely unimaginable to me, even when I made the decision. And so much of that has been uncomfortable. It hasn't all been the happiest, most amazing experience every day. But the most important part is that I've been able to weather these different storms and feel stronger and more confident after each one and move into these different positions of leadership, learn from other people, meet other people, 
know what works for me, know what doesn't work for me. It's all just been through that type of experience. I know it's so easy to stay somewhere that feels good or that feels easy, but I can promise you that when you step outside of that, there's just a whole new world waiting for you and you just never know what it's going to bring. And it's so exciting. Anytime I think about just making any change, it feels a little less scary than it would have the day before, the month before, the year before. And I feel really happy about that. It's contributed to my leadership skills, undoubtedly, Mm -hmm. and has brought the right people and the right opportunities into my life. Lauren, mon ami, I want to thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. It's been great reconnecting and I'm so proud of you. Thank you, I'm so proud of you. You are where you should be. I'm excited. I love you, girl. Love you too. Thanks for the opportunity. And thanks for being such an amazing leader and mentor in my life. We'll be in each other's lives for a while. A while, forever. Yes. So have a great evening. Thank you. You too. Hello, leaders. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.